Exodus 14. We're not going to make it all the way through Exodus 14 today. There's, we're going to break it up into uh, two parts. So we're going to look at Exodus 14, uh, about the first 20 verses of it. So as I read, follow with me, Exodus chapter 14. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi, Ahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots, all the chariots of Egypt, with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea at Pi-Hahiroth before Belzephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So when they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, then they said to Moses, Because there, was no, because there were no graves in Egypt, you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea, and I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to, to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. 
Well, Father, we ask that you would right now, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, cause this gospel, cause this word to be planted into our hearts. Let it bring forth a harvest of righteous fruit for your glory, God, that your church would be a light and a witness in this world. Father, change us, transform us, and conform us to the image of Jesus. Renew our minds by the washing of the water of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in Exodus 14, now Israel has come out of Egypt. They're three days out. And God brings them to this place. They're at the Red Sea. They're at the beach. And they're between what's called Pi-Hahiroth and Migdal. And then across the sea is this place called Bel-Zaphon. Now, it's hard to get a picture, but, but here is the picture of this place. Remember, God is leading them. So God takes them out of Egypt, they journey for three days, and He brings them to this place. And Pharaoh hears where they are. So he's obviously keeping tabs on what's going on with the Egyptians, and it becomes a parent to them that they have fled. Remember Moses was asking that they could go out and sacrifice to the Lord, have a feast to the Lord, and, and finally Pharaoh says, go, take your men and go, and, and Moses says, no, not just our men, but our little ones also, our women and our children. No, you can't take your little ones. Finally, he relents, and they all go. Pharaoh, for whatever reason, realizes that they didn't just go out to have a feast, but they're leaving and they're not coming back. And he has this epiphany that he's just driven out of his land all of the people that do his labor, all of their servants. And they say to themselves, what have we done by sending the Israelites who serve us out of the land? Have we lost our minds? And now, they're not just going for a few days and coming back. They're going and they're not coming back. So he says, fine. I'll just go and I'll just destroy them with my army. And that's exactly what he plans to do. Now, when we begin reading here in, verse four, in chapter 14, this is what God is telling Moses. God is telling Moses exactly what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Pharaoh's going to realize you guys are gone. He's going to regret it. I'm going to harden his heart, and he's going to come after you. And his plan and his purpose is going to be your destruction. He's bringing his armies. He's bringing his chariots. He's bringing his horsemen. And I'm going to take you to this place that is the worst possible place for you to fight a battle. I'm going to take you to a place that is the worst possible place for you to have to defend yourself against Pharaoh and his army. I'm going to take you to this place and it's going to appear as though it is going to be utter and complete 
failure and disaster. But don't worry. I'm bringing Pharaoh to you because I'm going to destroy him and you will not see him ever again. Remember, Moses already told him that. Pharaoh said, get out of my sight. If you ever see my face again, you will die. And Moses said, you speak correctly. I will never see your face again. And the next time you try to see me, you, you will die. And that's exactly what's happening here. So God speaks to Moses. He directs Israel to camp in the least strategic place possible. To put it in modern terms, God took Israel to a place that would make them sitting ducks waiting to be picked off. God led them to a place that boxed them in on three sides, and it was a trap that Pharaoh could not have planned any better himself if he was going to destroy a nation of people. Israel was trapped with no place to go except right into the teeth of the Egyptian army. That is until God did the unpredictable. God's ways are often contrary to man's ways. Have you guys ever noticed that? Have you noticed that God does not do things the way you and I might do them? God's timing doesn't ever seem to be the same timing as mine. God, the way he chooses to do things is very often not the way I would choose to do things. Failure often seems to be the predictable result of God's way. When God has a strategy and you look at it, it seems like God is planning for failure. God chooses foolish things to shame the wise and the mighty. This is what the Bible, this is what the scripture teaches us. 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. God's strategies often fool us by what we are able to see and what we are not able to see. Looks like defeat. What we can't see is that God has planned for victory. Man loves predictability. How many of you love predictability? How many of you love your routine? And if you get out of your routine, things aren't good for you. That's man. That's what man likes. Man loves predictability. Guess what? God embodies the unpredictable. Just when you think you're going to be able to predict what God is going to do, you better hold on because I can almost promise you that he's probably not going to do what you think he's going to do. What you think you've predicted correctly good chance it's not going to work out that way when it comes to God. Because faith calls us to embrace the unpredictable. If everything in life is predictable, where is faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Faith embraces the unpredictable. That's what faith calls us to do. But fear, fear 
clings to the predictable. This is what we often do. We cling to what is predictable for us because it's where we're comfortable. It's where we've learned how to live. It's where we've learned how to survive. It's where we've learned how to cope. And venturing into the unpredictable is fearful for us. So we cling to the predictable. But faith calls us to embrace the unpredictable. You don't have to go halfway across the world or even across town to, to find the unpredictable. It's, it's right here. It's in you. It's in our midst. It's part of our everyday predictable lives. The unpredictable is all around us. God brings about his victorious purpose in ways that are most unpredictable and foolish to man. Just like bringing Israel down to this beachhead that looked like the worst possible place they could possibly defend themselves against an army. Man's strategy is often based on assumptions that exclude God. In verse 3, Moses, God tells Pharaoh, I mean, God tells Moses, here's what Pharaoh is going to do. Pharaoh's going to say, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Those Israelites are out there and they're over their heads. They, are, they don't realize how good they had it in Egypt. Now they're out in the wilderness and they're wandering around and they're lost and they don't know what to do. They've bit off more than they can chew. They've jumped into the deep end and they don't know how to swim. This is Pharaoh's mindset. This is his assumption. God says this is what Pharaoh is going to assume. This is the problem. Man's strategy is often based on assumptions that exclude God. Don't ever forget God. Don't ever exclude God from your plan. Don't ever think when you've when you think you have it all figured out, guess again, because God is always part of the equation. And he doesn't always work the same way that we work. Pharaoh made an assumption about Israel that totally excluded God. And you would think that after all Pharaoh had witnessed and all that he had experienced, that he would know better. But here's the reality even after all Pharaoh experienced, even after all that he witnessed, he was still blind and his heart was still hard. It's not, listen church, it's not our experiences, good or bad, that change us. Our experiences can shape us. I deal with people every day that have been shaped by their experiences. But ultimately, it's not our experiences that will change us. It is God that has to change us. It is God and God alone that can and does change our hard hearts into warm, pliable hearts. It is God and God alone that can open our blind eyes and make us truly see His glory. Left to ourselves, we are like Pharaoh. We are hard-hearted and we are blind. 
But praise be to God for his grace and his mercy that has given to us in Christ new eyes and new heart. If you have received a new heart and you have eyes to see the glory of God, you should thank him right now. We are not called to simply make assumptions based on the best evidence. We are called to trust God even when the best evidence tempts us to doubt. And it very often does. The doctor says, I have cancer. The doctor says, there's no hope. The banker says, my mom says, my brother says, my boss says, and all the evidence may look like what they're saying is right. But don't exclude God from your assumption. Don't make assumptions without God. In fact, don't make assumptions at all because I'm not going to tell you what that does. But it does something and it's not nice. I'll let you figure that out when you assume something happens. Now, we're not called to make assumptions based on the best evidence. We're called to trust God even when it appears we're headed for failure and defeat. And this is exactly where Israel was, and this is exactly where God wanted them to be. And in verse 4, look at this. In verse 4, here's what God says. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God gains honor in all things, even in the hardness of his enemies. God doesn't hesitate to use his enemies to gain honor in securing victory for his children. God is not up in heaven fretting because people aren't believing in him. God is not up in heaven fretting because there are people on earth that hate him. If you believe that, you have the totally and completely wrong picture of who God is. God's not up in heaven fretting about anything. He's not stressing over anything. He's not worried about anything. He's not moaning and complaining and crying about anything. He is absolutely and completely in control of everything. We should never have a problem with God gaining honor. And we should always rejoice when his enemies are defeated. I'm going to say that again. We should never have a problem with God gaining honor. And we should always rejoice when his enemies are defeated. Guess what? You and I were his enemy. And guess what? We were defeated. And guess what? We should be most grateful that we were. We were enemies of God, and God reconciled us to Him by the blood of His Son. God defeated us and saved us by His life. This is what Romans 5 verse 10 says. We were the enemies of God. God reconciled us to Himself through the blood of his son. In other words, God defeated us. How did he do it? He slayed us by the cross. I mean, he absolutely crucified us and killed us 
in the cross and he defeated us, but he also made us alive in his son. God used us, his enemies, to gain honor through our salvation. You once were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Or we could say it like this, you once were enemies, but now you are his children. Walk as his children. God also justly uses his enemies to gain honor in his wrath. There is a judgment coming upon the earth one day. I mean, God will ultimately judge all evil, all sin. Death will be put underfoot, be put away. All of his enemies will be cast into the lake of fire. And God will gain honor in that, just as he gains honor in our salvation. Because God gains honor in all things. We are commanded to rejoice in the Lord always, to be anxious, to be fearful for nothing, knowing that he has given to us his peace that passes all understanding. When Paul is writing there in Philippians and talking about peace, please understand he's not just talking about you sleeping well at night because you, you, you were able to write that check and the money was in the account to cover it and they're not going to repossess your car or you're not going to lose your housing. I mean, that peace is important, but the only reason we can have that peace is because God made peace with us in terms of we are no longer his enemy. He is no longer hostile toward us as we were hostile toward him because he reconciled us to himself in Jesus Christ. He made peace. The war between us and God is over in Christ Jesus. We are no longer his enemies. So however God uses us in salvation or in wrath, he gains honor. If he has gained honor by turning you from an enemy to his child, then thank him and rejoice in him. God works from a position of defeat to bring about victory. We see this in verses 9 through 12. God, God's ways are higher than man's ways. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. As the heavens are high above the earth, so God's ways are higher than our ways. The ways of God are foolishness to man. And God very often works in ways that are absolutely contrary to conventional wisdom. God brings the nation that he just saved to a defenseless beach with no way of escape. And then, after he backs them up to the beachhead, and they're there with their backs, with the water to their backs, he brings the army of their enemies face to face with them. God loves to choose weak things to put to shame the things which are mighty. You know the greatest example of this is the cross. The cross of Christ. The proclaimed Savior is crucified and dead on a cross. And since death is the predictable result of crucifixion, 
victory does not seem to be a reasonable or predictable outcome of Jesus being crucified. It seems to be just the opposite. And when we read our Bibles carefully, we'll see that that's exactly what his disciples thought. This is it. All of our hopes and dreams gone. Jesus is dead. They beat him to a bloody pulp. They nailed him to a cross. He didn't even look like a human being hanging there. He wasn't covered. He was exposed for all to see. It was the most humiliating death a human being could possibly suffer. It looked like anything but victory. But that's exactly what it was. Against all of man's odds, victory is exactly the unpredictable result that was achieved in the cross. Paul writes, had the rulers of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God used the weak to shame and defeat the mighty. God takes the predictable defeat and brings from it unpredictable victory. This is how God works. This is how God works in our lives. This is how God is working in your life right now. In various situations, in various circumstances. God works His salvation out in the open for all to see. The problem is not that God is working where we cannot see. The problem is that we are either blind or distracted. If you're trusting in Jesus, God has taken away your blindness. You can see. If you are distracted, this is what God tells Israel. Stand still. This is what, God, this is what Moses told them. Stand still and see the salvation of God. If we are distracted, we need to stand still and look to Jesus. This is what Israel was commanded to do. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. <clears throat> we get in situations and circumstances and we are moved by fear. And instead of standing still and looking to the Lord, we are running all over the place, looking here and there, trying to figure out some way to solve our problem. God put Israel in a place where they could not escape. You ever heard the term fight or flight? When you're faced with a situation, you're going to do one or two things. You're either going to fight or you're going to flee. And what a lot of people do is they run. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run from your problem today, but you'll never, ever, ever be able to hide from it because wherever you run to, that problem will be there. Run a million miles away, and that problem will still be there. You can't run from it. You're going to have to stand up to it. You're going to have to face it. And God put Israel in a place where they could not run because he knew if they could, they would. So he boxed them in and made them 
face their worst fear. Fight or flight. They couldn't fly. They couldn't flee. So they had to fight, and they knew that. And this is when they went to Moses, and they said, You idiot! Why did you bring us out here to die? There is no way we can defeat the Egyptian army. We are going to all be slaughtered. This is what happens when we get distracted. We get distracted. We begin moving by fear. And we begin looking at the source of our fear instead of the source of our peace or the source of our victory. God commands you, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There is coming a day when the enemies we see today, we shall see no more forever. This is what, this is what Moses told the children of Israel. Look at verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And that is the promise God has made to us concerning our enemies. God has worked His salvation. He has defeated His enemies. We know we cannot see all things that God is doing, but we can know and we can see that God is doing all things for our salvation. So even when it looks like you're boxed in, don't forget God. And don't judge your situation based on what you can see. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Then in verse 14, Moses declares to the children of Israel, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. This is a very simple truth. There is a time we need to shut our mouths and open our eyes and watch God fight for us. Fight or flight. Remember, God put Israel where they could not fly away, where they could not run away from their problem, their issue. And Israel is thinking, we cannot fight this battle. And the good news is for Israel, and the good news is for us, it's not our battle to fight. It is the Lord's battle. Now, we're called to be good soldiers. We're called to fight the good fight. But ultimately, and Israel had to stand on that beach, and they, they had to face their enemy. But ultimately, it was not Israel who fought the battle. It was not Israel who won the victory. It was God. We can spend too much time talking about our fear and not enough time praying and waiting and watching God fight for us. Verses 15 through 18, God commanded the children of Israel to move forward. God commands us to move forward and to take action. We need to know when to stand still and we need to know when to move. I mean, right there, God tells Israel, stand still. And then he tells Moses, move forward. What are you crying to me about? Move forward. Now think about this if you're Moses. Where, where, where is forward? 
It's right into the Red Sea. God says, what are you crying about? Move forward. In other words, go ahead and march into the sea. But don't forget to lift up your rod and divide the waters. And you will lead Israel across on dry ground. Now, he, he said move forward before he said lift up your rod. Which meant that when Moses began moving forward, there was not dry ground before him. There was a sea before him. When God told Moses to move forward, the waters weren't parted yet. There was no dry ground for Moses. There was no clear path to victory for Moses to lead the children of Israel through. There was only an Egyptian army behind him and a Red Sea in front of him and mountains on both sides of him. And when God said move forward, he had to take a step of faith, not knowing what was going to happen. But God told him what was going to happen. Lift up your rod, divide the waters, and go on dry land. Now, God does the same for us, but we are just as unbelieving as Israel is. I mean, think about this book that is filled with the promises, that is filled with the examples. And this is what Paul writes to the Corinthians. These things were written for our example. We don't have to go through the Red Sea on dry ground again. Israel's already done it. God's already done it for them. So what's the lesson for us? When we're facing our sea, God is still big enough to part the waters. When we're facing our mountain, God is still big enough to move it for us. And the biggest mountain and the greatest sea that we ever had to cross was the gulf of death and sin that we were trapped in. God will fight for you. Hold your peace. So he commanded Israel to move forward and to take action. When we are moving in the Lord's will, it doesn't matter what direction we may be moving. If we're moving in His will, we are always moving forward. And God uses our obedient action to gain honor through our salvation and through the destruction of His enemies. Faith will ultimately require us to move forward and to take action. We're going to have to take a step toward the sea, lift our rods, and trust that when we lift it up, moving forward, that God will divide the waters and give us the dry ground we need to go across. What we want to do is wait for God to clear the way, prepare the way, and make a clear path with no obstacles, and then we're ready to go. But that is not how God works. So as they're moving forward, the Egyptians are coming upon them. And verse 19 says, the angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel. So the angel of the Lord was going before them. In the daylight, it was a pillar of cloud. At night, it was a pillar of fire. And they were following the Lord. The angel of God went before the camp of Israel. He moved behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the Egyptians, 
and they gave light by night to Israel so that the one did not come near the other all the night. In other words, Israel was trapped, but they weren't because God was their rear guard and did not allow the Egyptians to come near them. So they were right there. God stands between his people and the enemy. We need not fear, for the Lord is with us. God has promised to never leave us. He's promised to never forsake us. Now you think about this, church. The whole time they're complaining to Moses, the whole time they're thinking that they are getting ready to be slaughtered by the Egyptian army, there is the angel of the Lord before them in a pillar of cloud. He's led them for three days. And there he is, and they can't see God. All they see is their enemy. They can't see their source of victory and their source of peace, though he's right there in their midst. All they can look at, all they can see is what they have to fear. That is so typical of human beings. God is right here in our midst, but all we can see is what we have to fear. And God is saying, stop looking at your source of fear. Stop looking at the enemy and put your eyes on the Lord. He will fight for you. Move forward and trust that he will make a way where there seems to be no way. Christ stands between us and our enemy. Satan cannot touch you unless God allows it. We see this in the book of Job. And if God allows the enemy to touch you for any reason, it is for your good and his glory. Whether you can believe that or accept that, it does not matter. That is the reality. The scripture does not lie. Israel had God right in their midst, but all they would see was the approaching enemy and the seeming impossibility of their situation. God is in our midst. Look to him and see his salvation. Know that he stands between us and our enemies that have already been defeated. Egypt was already defeated. Here is a defeated enemy coming out to do, I don't know what they thought they were going to do, but there was never a question that they were already defeated and they would never be able to accomplish what they had purposed in their heart. Their destruction and their demise was already settled. And so is every enemy that you face. If you are in Christ, the destruction and the demise of all of your enemies are not, with, not, not in question. They've already been defeated. You have already been given victory in Christ. How do we know that? We come to a table every week that proclaims his body and his blood. In proclaiming his death, we proclaim his victory. We proclaim his life. We have every reason to hope. We have every reason to trust. We have no reason to fear. God is in our midst. Just because he's not strategizing and working the way you would 
and according to your time and my time, don't doubt his intentions and don't doubt his ability. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. You're invited to come to the Lord's table. I invite you to come in faith and to come trusting in Jesus. We'll have our charge. We'll pray a prayer for our meal. Here's your charge. Let you know and remember that God does all things for the salvation of His children and the glory of His name. God puts us in situations that motivate us to move forward when we would not otherwise. The children of Israel found themselves in a situation where they had no choice but to move forward right into the place that God wanted them to be. To move us forward, God may bring us face to face with our enemies. He does this to gain honor for His name and to bring us into His promise of salvation. The obstacles may look impossible to overcome. Defeat can seem certain, but God does the unpredictable. God does what is impossible with man because all things are possible with Him. To God be all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Father, we lift our meal up next door. We pray that you would bless the food to the nourishment of our bodies. Lord, bless our missionaries and their families that proceeds will go to support. Bless your people, God. Help us to be salt that flavors and light that lights the way dispelling darkness. We thank you and we praise you. Let's sing our thanks to God.